Are you tired of feeling like a failure as a parent? Should I answer that or are we asking the audience? <laughs> I think we're asking hypothetically. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Do you constantly judge yourself and wonder if you're doing it all wrong? Well, it's time to break free from the chains of self-doubt and embrace a new perspective. Today, you'll hear from Carla Nomberg. She is the author of You Are Not a Shitty Parent. How does she know? She'll explain how connection, creativity, and kindness are the keys to embracing your best qualities as a parent. But first, this is the FitMass where together we learn to develop habits that help us live beyond our mental health struggles to create happier, healthier lives. He's Zach. He lives in the future with his anxiety. He's Jeremy, and he lives in the past with his depression. And we get together once a week in the present to share the obstacles we face and how we overcome them. You Are Not a Shitty Parent is the title of the book we're discussing today, but it's also the mantra I've been repeating to myself for days now to counter what feels like overwhelming evidence to the contrary. You've this, actually been saying you're not a shitty parent? Oh, I keep telling been, myself. I've been, my mantra has been, you're a shitty parent. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I got all this evidence to the contrary. So I keep shouting in the mirror, no, you're not a shitty parent. You got this. Keep going, man. Just keep a little bit longer. Oh, it's just been a mountain of, uh, not even a mountain of, a void, a lack of gratitude loads of attitude and responding to absolutely everything I say and do to help them as though I am the dumbest piece of shit rock to ever get tripped over in the front yard. And then somehow they followed up with, you know, can I have this? Will you buy me this? Can I get this? And you're just like, are you kidding? No, you're lucky I let you breathe. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not really far off the point, Jeremy. <laughs> in some cases and in the last few days, they're right. And they, and they know what they're doing too. Cause like, in those moments when they come up to you and hug you and they're like, hi, I love you. And you know, the ask is coming. Oh, like, you whatever know. it is. They're the worst but salespeople still, on the planet. You still melt and you're just like, oh my God, my kid loves me. I'm doing something just right. Just empty oh. my wallet, whatever you oh. need. Just take it all. Hmm. Oh, you want to go to Lululemon? <laughs> That's what I'm currently battling. Oh, geez. Mine's just a hydro flask, but when you look at the drawer of overflowing water bottles that have been the next best thing, I'm not real excited about buying another one. Lululemon. Water <sighs> bottles. Yeah. And then they bat their eyelashes and you're like, oh, my little girl. That has not been me. The last couple of days, I, I, the, the kryptonite has, has eluded me. I've been able to just be angry and furious and just shut them down. And I feel like a but dick about it. Well, you should. Yeah, I should. I should. Maybe I will when the feelings come back. But right now I feel nothing. Just numbness but, and but, anger. But, you know, with all of the yelling at your kids and, you know, the anger and all the things, man, you're not a shitty parent. Evidently. Totally. Evidently. Totally. We are about, totally not. We are about to learn in this interview with Carla Nomberg that there may not even be such a thing as a shitty parent. What do you, now, now you, I'm curious your take on that. Maybe we should wait until after the interview. Hang on. Oh, I, no, I don't. Hey, hang on one second. Shut the fuck up. I'm trying to record a show. <laughs> I was thinking more about your parents who were especially oh. shitty, but. Oh, <laughs> my, my dad wasn't bad. He did the best he could mm -hmm. with what he had. That's my a, mom that's was. That's a very my... compassionate approach to, uh, to a couple of people who neglected you and let you eat raw hamburger when you were left alone for days. See, but my mom set the bar. It was pretty fucking low. <laughs> so then my dad swooped in and did like a sub mediocre job. And it was like, 
rock star status for him. As I'm an adult now, I look back and my dad did the right thing. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing, but he tried. He was like, I'll try this lever. I'll try that lever. He did try. My mom, on the other hand, fuck her. <laughs> Dumpster fire. Dumpster fire doesn't even like start to explain it. Like, I'm not kidding when I say that my mom would go out on a... Th- I am four, five, and six years old. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the earliest memories I have. Four, five, four, four years old. She'd go out on a Thursday night and come home Tuesday. Just criminal. Fucking right? criminal. And then I just wouldn't go to school. I wouldn't shower. Like, you know, like I bashed my sister in the face with a baseball bat. Nobody noticed. I skinned off like my ankle and I was like, well, just, well, I'll just put cowboy boots on. I guess that'll fix it. Like, you know, just, just absolutely horrible, like neglectful things. And, um, terrible parenting so i i tell people occasionally like the way i was raised i overcompensate slightly so i'm not kidding that when my daughter says let's go to lululemon i'm like okay <laughs> go to lululemon yes dear anything you say like no 11 year old should have an entire fucking wardrobe of lululemon no. but my daughter does no they shouldn't and she shouldn't so we say all these things and like i i'm not joking about my childhood it was atrocious and i I, I joke a little bit about my daughter's childhood. Like she's she's got it pretty good. She's okay. But again, we're two dads just kind of trying to make our way through life. Like the name of the show is The Fit Mess. And that literally is how I feel most days parenting. Like I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm also like I can just see the psychology bills I'm racking up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some days heavier on the mess than the fit. Well, our guest today is Carla Nomberg. She's a clinical social worker and author of five books, including her latest, You Are Not a Shitty Parent. I started by asking her, how do you know? All right, look, Jeremy, I'm going to say something controversial that I absolutely believe. And let me remind you that I'm a clinical social worker who's worked with a lot of different families over the years. I also grew up in a family with lots of divorces, alcoholism, substance abuse, mental illness behaviors that some people might call shitty parenting. And I will say my parents are not shitty parents and I do not believe there is such a thing as a shitty parent. That is controversial. I, yeah. I cause I, I feel like most days I feel like I am. And, I, and I'm sure that's pretty common for most parents. Oh, absolutely. And I felt that way too for a long time, but let's think about it this way. We all have moments when we, really screw up as parents, right? We say or do the wrong thing. We lose our tempers with our kids. We forget to send them with a lunch. We miss the deadline for summer camp sign up. We whatever. We're too impatient with them. And then there are parents who really are behaving in ways that are pretty horrifying, right? If you want to go down that road, abuse, neglect, all those things. And what I would say is at any moment, labeling yourself as a shitty parent is totally unproductive and unhelpful, right? Because it's like, great, we're stuck with this label, now what do we do? But what we can do is instead say, there are parents who at different times and to different degrees don't have the information, resources, and support they need to parent well. And for some of us, I mean, look, that happens for all of us, right? Myself included. And for some of us, that's not super significant. Like when I don't have the resources to parent, it's usually internal resources, right? I'm exhausted, I'm depleted, I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed but I am fortunate enough to have a roof over my head, health insurance, good doctors, like we've got enough food on the table. So I have the external resources. 
But for some parents, it's very significant, right? They don't know much about parenting. They don't have what they need and they don't have the support we all need. So that's how I choose to think about parents who are really struggling. I never call them shitty. Something you said there is interesting is, is you sort of reframed all the places where you feel like you're lacking in resources and, and information and, and highlighting, here's all the things I do have. And we talk so much about various self-help, self-development things on this show. And most of them come back to if you just reverse your thinking and try and be grateful, have gratitude for what you do have. It's such a better place to operate from than from one of depletion and, and lack. Absolutely. And look, parenting is the ultimate paradox. And just to be clear, Jeremy, I don't like paradoxes. I don't like confusing difficult things. I want everything in life to be black and white, straightforward and easy, but it, it never is. And I am a deeply grateful person. I walk around on a regular basis looking at my daughters going, aren't we so lucky to have these beautiful New England fall leaves? Aren't we so, do you realize how lucky we are to have a yeah. roof over our heads and a house we can come home to? And my girls are uh, 12 and almost 14, so they roll their eyes at me so hard they almost fall out of their little heads. Um, but it's both. I am deeply grateful for what I have. I think about it every single day. And parenting is still really hard, and sometimes I get really overwhelmed and pissed off, right? So it's mm. both. Another key word that comes up a lot, and comes up a lot, honestly, in the uh, the write-up for, for your book, is compassion. That just that just so often I, I'm telling my kids when they come home complaining about so-and-so did something bad or this kid causes trouble all the time, and I always try and tell them, you know, try and have some compassion. You don't know what's going on at home. You don't know why they're acting out. Probably their mom isn't paying enough attention, you know, whatever. Parents aren't paying enough attention to them at home or whatever the thing is. But but compassion seems to be a, a really key point in, in what you offer in the book. So it's really what the new book is all about, is about self-compassion and how we as parents can flip that script from, I'm a shitty parent, I'm screwing up, I'm messing up my kids, to I'm having a hard day. Parenting is actually hard for everyone. And just because I'm not a perfect parent, that doesn't mean I'm not a great parent, right? And, and learning to change that self-talk and treat ourselves with some kindness in difficult moments not only makes parenting easier and less stressful, but it actually makes it easier to then change our behavior. So if we're feeling bad because we lost our temper at our kids, we're going to be much more likely to be calmer and patient with them going forward if we've been practicing that self-compassion. You also mentioned, just getting back to the idea of resources, I, I think a lot about what my parents had available, what their parents had available in terms of resources. It was typically whatever they were taught. Now we have yeah. an infinite you know, library of information that's a fingertips away. And sometimes I know I wrestle with, with having guilt about not knowing more, not knowing better how to be a better parent when I do have an infinite amount of information at, at my fingertips. And, and it can be overwhelming and even difficult to figure out where do I start to look, obviously, aside from your book, uh, for the resources. Obviously. That... <laughs> so how do you sort of navigate that, like this new ground where all, you know many of us are, are in where we have it's all available we just have to log on and know where to look and feeling like boy how again how shitty of a parent am i that i, I can't figure out where to google to find the answer to this so i wish information was enough to parent well right i wish that was all we needed but i actually think information is maybe the ultimate double-edged sword of parenting because on the one hand like, I am glad we now know that hitting kids isn't good for them, right? 
because now we're hopefully not hitting kids as much as we used to. My dad spanked me. It's not because he's a terrible person who wanted to hit his kid. It's because that was the strategy that was available to him back then. Um, I don't spank my kids because now we have more information. But I think too much information is incredibly confusing mm-hmm. and overwhelming and not helpful. And I also think information isn't it isn't enough because just because we know what to do or believe we know what to do doesn't mean we can always do it right? I know I should drink a green smoothie for breakfast every morning. I don't always do it. I know I should go to the gym every single day. I don't always do it. And so I think self-compassion is really important in filling in that gap between what we know we should do and what we're actually capable of doing. The other thing I think just my automatic reaction to that, that I hear from a lot of people is time. I don't have time for self-compassion. I don't have time to take care of myself. And then that tends to be where a lot of, I think our um, shortcomings as parents show up as when we're not taking care of ourselves, the cup is empty. We can't pour from the empty cup. So how do you manage, you know, soccer practice and school and work and working from home and all of the things and still find that time to, to take care of yourself and and practice that self-compassion. So it's a good point. And I resonate with what parents are saying. I'm an exhausted working parent too. Right. And I, I actually wrote about this in my previous book, how to stop losing your shit with your kids. And one of the things I said is that if you legitimately for reals, don't have time to get a decent night's sleep, to move your body on a regular basis, to have a few minutes of downtime every day, then you have a lifestyle that is not compatible with staying calm and present with your kids. And I'm not saying you as a parent are not capable. I'm saying you have a lifestyle. And so I know parents, you know, who have made the decision to have in, in parents, in families where they're lucky enough to have two parents, right? I know parents who've made the decision to have one parent leave their job or go down to part-time, to hire additional childcare, to pull their kids out of some of their activities because it was just too much. And so I think for a lot of us, we say we don't have time to do it when the reality is it just feels too hard or unpleasant. And self-compassion is really simple, but it's not always easy, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you, so I, I encourage parents to really dive deep into is it really that you don't have time? Because if that's true, then maybe your life is too overwhelming and overloaded. And can you start to make some changes? And this doesn't have to be for the rest of your life. This is the parenting season you're in now, but you're not going to be in it forever. It will change. And pretty soon you have high schoolers who kind of need you to be the quiet house plant in the corner, right? And just be there. <laughs> parenting gets less like physically intensive, right? Mm-hmm. So do you really not have time or is it that you just don't want to do it? Which is also okay. There are a lot of things I should do I don't want to do. <laughs> I love that. Uh, aside from believing we don't have enough time, there's a lot of other limiting beliefs that I think many of us carry over from childhood that maybe we don't even recognize until many, many years later. Uh, how does that play into this? Those, those ideas that were sort of planted there that maybe weren't even our own and and we've just come to accept them as part of our identity. So I think there are two ways that those beliefs happen. One or two ways we interact with them. One is sometimes we're aware of them and sometimes we're not. And so I think a lot about mindfulness, which means, you know, noticing when our thoughts are way off in the past or way projected into the future, which can look like worry, regret in the past or anxiety, fear about the future. And I I work to notice when my thoughts go to those places and bring them back to the present moment and just say to myself, what is actually happening here? What is going on right here in this moment? And I try to get really clear on that and then start from that place because sometimes that can help you get some space from those old thoughts or beliefs. A lot of times those thoughts or beliefs exist for us and we're not even aware of it. And that's when, again, if you have the time and energy and resources, therapy can be incredibly helpful. And if you don't have the time and energy and resources for therapy, which many of us don't, 
that's where having a whole lot of compassion for yourself comes in because you don't have the resources to parent the way you want to. And, and I like that you're examining what, you know, bringing it back to the present moment, what's happening now, what's in my control, what's not. And that speaks to something that we talk about a lot on this show too, is just curiosity. Just, it's amazing how many of the problems that we have in our lives that we let sort of dominate us and drag us from thing to thing without ever even stopping going, why am, why am I doing this? Why am I behaving this way? Why, what is it about this habit? Like, why do I have this in my life? So how can we use curiosity as a, as a tool to become better parents? So I see curiosity as a fundamentally compassionate practice, because first of all, when you get curious about yourself or your children, the underlying message is you matter. I care enough about you to want to know and learn more about what's going on for you. The second thing about curiosity that's so kind is when we are curious about someone, ourselves, our children, somewhere else, we're also saying, I'm not scared of what I'm going to find. I can be curious about your experience and you may tell me about these horrible thoughts or feelings or fantasies and I'm still going to be here, right? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to think you're a terrible person. I'm going to still be here because guess what? We've all had them. Um, So where curiosity comes in is it helps, first of all, gets me out of my judgmental headspace. Instead of just judging myself or whatever's gone wrong, I can flip the script and start to say, what's going on? Like what really happened? What's happening now? What do I need? What does my kid need? What can I do differently going forward? Um, And it also gives me some clarity, right? Sometimes when my kid has a meltdown, I'm tempted to think, oh my God, I'm raising this horrible, entitled, spoiled child. They're terrible. What a mess. I'm a terrible parent. And when I get curious, I realize they're just hungry. They're not a psychopath. They just need a sandwich, right? (laughs) Right. That's curiosity for you. Um, I will say something, Jeremy, you asked a lot of why questions. Why am I doing this? I tend to shy away from the why questions with myself and with my children because often, I don't know. We don't know. Why yeah. did my kid throw that ball through the window? They don't know. They did something impulsive and stupid. They don't know. And I, I don't think they're lying to us. I think people often don't know why we do things. And so I try to look at the more interesting question is, what can we do differently in the future so it doesn't happen again? Right. So I, I, I tend to go for like what questions and how questions. Yeah. It's funny. The more, you know, so I have an 11 and a seven year old daughter and they both still do things. And when they do them, I think like, why in the hell did they do? And I'll, sometimes I'll ask them, why the hell did you do that? And they're like, Meh. I mean, so you're dead on. They have no idea. And then I try and remember what it was like to be their age. And I remember like just my mind zipping off into just insane other places and like behaving in ways where there it was normal, but back here on earth, it made absolutely no sense. <laughs> and yeah, so it's, it's just crazy that like, that we have that when we're kids, like it's imagination. You, you know, better than I, but, but that, that impulse to act in that other world where our mind has taken us, where I think we still do it as adults, but we have the oh, yeah. control to not physically go there the way that they do as kids. Uh, you want to see people behaving impulsively and poorly, let me introduce you to the internet. Right? That's where adults do this. Hello, Twitter. <laughs> Hello, Twitter. I love that. Um, and with kids, we have to remember that their prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain right behind your forehead here, that literally is about impulse control, emotional regulation, making good decisions. It's not fully developed for them. It's not going to be developed until they're like in their early 20s. So even though I know this is not true because my neuroscientist friends have told me this, I imagine my kid walking around with this big, like empty hole behind their forehead. <laughs> that's not accurate, but that's how I think about it. And so 
that actually helps me have more compassion for them because I'm like, oh, you're not just a jerk. You're right. like, you're not a jerk at all. You're a kid with a not yet fully developed brain. I don't actually say that to my 12 and 13 year old daughters. <laughs> they don't like hearing that for some weird reason. That's weird. But I try to remember it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So another point you make here, uh, connection uh, and, and how it's the antidote to shame. I, I love that. Um, as someone who my entire life I've wrestled with depression, I've also learned that connection is an antidote to depression. Um, yeah. But I think as parents, many of us, and, and I know many parents of much older children that have carried uh, shame for their entire lives, it's such a huge part because we feel so guilty about every shortcoming that we have. So how does, how does connection help us to alleviate that feeling? Well, I think for so many of us, when things go wrong in parenting, maybe our child suffers an injury or we have a loss in the family or somebody gets laid off or whatever it is, we tend to kind of draw in and shut down, like literally like drop the shades in our house and we don't really reach out until things are better and then we can show up in the world again and be like, here we are, we're fine. And that leads to a real sense of isolation in a number of ways. Number one, we're not connecting with our community when we need them the most for support. And number two, it continues to perpetuate this idea we all have that somehow everybody else is doing it right and we're the only ones who are suffering. And what we really need in that moment is to be able to reach out and connect with the people who are gonna treat us with compassion. Now, look, a lot of us know a lot of people and a lot of those people are really nice, good people, but not all of them can show up for us in our most difficult moments with compassion. Some of them are gonna give us unsolicited advice. And when you give someone unsolicited advice when they're suffering, it's kind of like saying, oh, you screwed it up, but I didn't and I'm gonna tell you how to do it right. That's not what we need in that moment. Also, you know, there are many people who are nice, but they just can't tolerate us in our hard moments. And that's okay, right? So we need to find those people that we can connect with who are going to show up, listen to our story and love us anyway, right? Those are the people we need to connect with when things are really hard. That speaks to another thing that we are big, uh, you know, advocates of is just vulnerability, just being open and sharing the good, bad and the ugly with whoever has space for it, right? I mean, like you said, there are going to be people that just, that's just not their thing. They don't have room for that in their lives, but I, I know that what, what, parenting or whatever problem I have, the more open I am about the struggle, the more the answer or the help tends to appear. Absolutely. And look, vulnerability, if you want to learn more about vulnerability and shame, go follow and listen to and read Brene Brown. Yes. She's my favorite pop culture social worker. This is her jam. This is She's like on a quest to change the world. She's actually doing it. She's amazing. But what I would say about vulnerability is it is terrifying to be vulnerable, especially now because we see people who are vulnerable and it ends up getting shared online and they get dumped all over, right? They get absolutely destroyed. And so what I would say to parents is we're not, you know, Jeremy and I aren't here encouraging you to go find the first person with a smile on the playground and like <laughs> share your whole life story with them. That's not what we're saying. So, so you're saying but I should stop doing that. Vulnerability to a point, to a point. So uh, Brene Brown actually does a wonderful talk about this, about sort of figuring out who you can be vulnerable with. It's it's beautiful. Um, but find those people and be vulnerable with them because it's really a gift. You know, I think about my friends who don't clean up their houses before I go over and I walk in and they don't say, oh, I'm sorry, it's such a mess. It's usually so perfect. They just like, come on, you know, clear that yeah. shit off the couch and sit on down. <laughs> and that is such a gift to me because I am reminded that not everybody's house is super sparkling clean and perfect all the time. So finding those people that you can be vulnerable with in small and significant ways is such a powerful act of compassion for yourself and others. So I want to get into a little bit the difference between moms and dads. And 
obviously families, families cover all spectrum. So I don't want to just pretend like that's, that's the only way that there is. Of course, my situation is a mom and a dad. And so, so from that perspective, it is funny. I was having a conversation with a, with a neighbor the other day and uh, the mom was out of town or she left early in the morning. She wasn't around for morning, right. To take, to get the kid ready for school. And he kind of joked, he said, you know, I'd never tell her, but she was gone. And this morning was really peaceful. We sat down, we had breakfast, he put on his shoes and out we went. And he, you know, he describes a scenario when mom's around. What about this? What about this? Did you tie your shoes twice? What if it rains? What happens if the wind blows to the left instead of the right? So uh, let's just break down the differences between moms and dads and and this wrestling with being shitty parents. So this is super interesting to me because my husband and I are in transition right now. I had been the default parent for a very long time and he worked out of the house and he had always wanted to be the default parent, but quite frankly, we couldn't afford it because I'm a social worker and a writer and a woman, which means I don't get paid as much as he would right. in the same position. And he was in business. And then things happened. My book started selling really well. My job situation changed and we were able to switch. So right now, Jeremy, while I am recording this call with you, my husband is off picking up our daughters from school. He's working very part-time right now and I'm working full-time. So we've had this interesting shift. And when I think about the difference between moms and dads, I have a huge amount of compassion for the mom in that story you just told. Yeah. Because all of that nagging is coming from a place of anxiety, right? And I know because I've been there, I still am there sometimes. And I think that anxiety really comes from a place of society, I believe, and tell me if you think I'm on the mark or not, Jeremy. I think society has much higher and different expectations for moms. Totally. And when kids are a mess and things go apart, fall apart, and mom's on the scene, mom gets blamed. And when things are a mess and everything falls apart and dads are on the scene, it's like, okay, dad, you did the best you can. And I actually think that's really unfair to moms and dads. Yes. I don't think like, I think that's unfair to everyone involved. No, I mean the the bar for dads is, Oh, you showed up get this guy an award. Oh my God. That's amazing. Where, you know, if, if mom made breakfast and lunch and got the shoes on and got them dressed and got out the door and the kids were on school on time and everything went fine. Yeah, what, what else could she have done? She could have done that's better. like the bare minimum. Yeah. Why didn't you like make them cupcakes? Yeah. I just think that's also really unfair to dads. Like I think that dads continued to be sidelined in the parenting conversation. Like the amount of work I am doing just to get people to include my husband on emails about school and doctor's appointments and all the things like we are actively trying to include him in this conversation. I'm fighting for it. And it's hard. And it's not like people think my husband sucks or they don't want him involved somehow. It's just not how society has trained us to be. And so here he is working so hard to become the default parent. And it's really a struggle. And I think about all the dads out there who maybe don't have the time and energy to do this, but still want to be involved. And society keeps pushing against them. That's really hard, too. Yeah, I, I, I should have asked wh- where uh, you are calling from, but this is interesting to me because I'm uh, a new resident of Canada. I've, I've been here for just over a year. And by default, the government views the mother as the primary parent. So anything that the dad has a question about in terms of calling the government, getting any sort of tax benefits, anything set up, they want to talk to mom. They don't even want to talk to dad. That is bonkers. So I live just outside of Boston. Okay. But, you know, when my parents were getting a divorce, the default assumption was that mom gets the kids. Yep. And whether or not that's right is not the point. Right. The point is that there are two parents here and let's make room for moms who want to work outside the home and not be the parent. And let's not judge them. Like I remember sitting in multiple conversations with moms who worked outside the home. And clearly the assumption was you're a shitty mom because you don't want to stay home watching your two-year-old wipe her boogers on the wall all day. Um, (laughs) And let's make room for the dads 
who do want to be home, right? Okay, Jeremy uh, likes the booger jokes. That, oh, I'm a big fan of the booger jokes. They're, they're big, they're big business here, right? Oh my God, you gotta <laughs> laugh at them. But, you know, and let's start paying mom an equal wage so that she can work outside the home and dads can stay home if they want to because, like, my husband, he genuinely wants to be the default parent. This mm-hmm. is not like we're stuck with him doing it. This is really important to him, and why shouldn't it be, right? I don't want to get too far uh, away from the central point of your topic, but but sure. also I think the idea between men and women and that anxiety you were talking about, it just as a woman, there yeah. is a tremendous amount of fear that you are taught from the minute you're born to carry around and is reinforced constantly by society where guys walk out the door and go, mm, what's the problem? You know, so yeah. I think that plays a big part in, in that anxiety, that anxious role too. So, I mean, it's it's constant fear of whatever danger may happen to your child, as well as fear of how am I going to be perceived if this goes sideways in any way? Absolutely. And I really appreciate your awareness and willing to bring it up. It's really important. All amazing stuff. So uh, before we, before we wrap up and tell people where to buy the book and all the things, and probably Amazon, um, (laughs) what are some key things we can do uh, right now? This podcast is wrapping up. I want to be a better parent. What can I do today to start making sure that I don't end up on Uh, what is apparently the non-existent, but we still believe we're on it, the shitty parent list. Yeah. So my, my main advice for folks, the really simple is to just notice when you are having these shitty parent thoughts, just notice them. Remember that just because you're thinking something, that doesn't mean it's true. I can think I'm a unicorn. It doesn't make me a unicorn, right? And then switch those thoughts. So go from I'm a terrible parent to I'm a person having a bad day tomorrow's a new day i can always begin again and the more that you are able to notice those really unhelpful shaming labeling thoughts and let them go and replace them with uh these kinder more compassionate thoughts you keep doing it you keep doing it and eventually it's just going to stick it's just going to take itself to a much better place and parenting will feel easier and less stressful that's that mindfulness you're talking about that minding the gap between the 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 action, the emotional response, and changing it to something else. So important. 100%. All right. I think I gave it away, but where can we learn more about you, your work, and uh, where to buy the book? So my home online is at carlanomberg.com. My book, You Are Not a Shitty Parent, is available at online retailers and also your local independent bookstore. And we've got ebooks and paperbacks and audiobook. And I also hang out on Facebook and Instagram. Carla, thank you for your time and the booger jokes and all the things that we talked about here. It's all really important stuff. And uh, I'm really glad we got to do this. Thank you. This was great. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I really loved it. Our thanks to Carla Nomberg, author of You Are Not a Shitty Parent. You can find links to her and her work in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. I totally agree. I know we joked about it at the beginning of the show and like, you know, probably shouldn't even say it out loud, but like. None of us are shitty parents. We're just doing the best thing that we can do. Like you got to have a little self-compassion for yourself. I have self-compassion with myself by being humorous. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword there, (laughs) but we're not shitty parents. Like we can do a couple of shitty things, but that does not make you a shitty parent. I know I have my moments. I know I've had a lot of them for the last couple of days. And one of the things that we talked about in there that was so important to me that, that I know we talk about how the obstacle is the way you got to face the, the things that do the hard things. And that's how you grow. I know what has prevented me from being a better parent is not having the conversation that needs to be had instead of sitting down with my kids and saying, Hey, when you do this, I feel this. And that's not cool. We got to figure something out because I'm terrified that it's going to come out as listen, you little shit. 
<laughs> and so I know this about myself that when I'm in that space, I should say I'm learning this about myself, that I need to sort of get through that so that I can get to this point and have the conversation where we talk about our feelings that isn't just me responding in anger, putting aside all that judgment, all that fear, all that stuff, and creating a space where you can talk to your kids or maybe even your, your partner about what you need from the relationship, either with your kids or, or with your partner. So key. You, you have to have those conversations because if you keep it inside, like I have, it just turns into bottled rage. Yep, definitely. You need to let it out. I think the other thing that I try and do with my daughter and um, I mean, I can't tell you there's, there's a couple of, you know, my ex wife's friends who have told my daughter that like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, I'm curious about her and her loves and like, I learn about them. Yeah, no, I'm not an expert in any of those things, especially since she's, she's a girl, I'm a boy. Like I, I, I just don't have that understanding. But I'm so curious, like I, I seek to understand as much as I can because like, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but for her, I will be a Taylor Swift fan mm -hmm. and I will go sing at the concert, which I did for a lot of far too much money, <laughs> far too much money. I'm still, I still throw up a little bit over that, <laughs> but that helps me understand her better. And it just opens me up to all these new experiences and like questioning my own beliefs. Right. So sometimes in my exploration of like finding something that, that her and I, or I need to understand something for her, I find alternate information of what I believe. I'm like, huh, well, I guess maybe that's not right. So like I, I harp about it all the time, but like just being, even being curious about what your children do and embracing it and accepting it, even if it's not your jam can open up all these other doors. It's amazing. Hearing you say that not only helps me get into the third takeaway that I want to highlight from this conversation, but it opens up an opportunity for me to ask you something because I try to do this with my kid. I ask them, what are you into? What's your thing? What do you love? Like what gets you excited? And both of them go, eh, eh. <laughs> I can't, I can't get them to share one thing they're passionate about. I don't, I, how do you, so how do you do that? How do you get them to open up about what they're into aside from laying down a lot of money to see Taylor Swift? Well, it's not even about that. Like, so it's, so again, it's about being observant. So I'd be willing to bet that just in observing their daily activities, you could figure out what they're into. Yeah. Minecraft. It's Minecraft. Right? It's all about Minecraft. Right? That's all it's about. Right? Minecraft. So if you went off and learned something about Minecraft and then dropped a little knowledge on them, just mm -hmm. in passing, mm -hmm. they're going to go, oh, then you do it again. Then you do it again. And you, yeah, you know, I guess you could use the word manipulation, yeah. but you're showing them that like you've taken an interest that you are interested in what they're like. You're not going like, tell me what you're interested in so I can be interested right. in it too. It's like a natural thing. Like you're not asking them. So I do that with her. Like I put Taylor Swift on like before the concert, before spending money on any of the right. tickets. Like I would just play Taylor Swift on a Saturday and like be in the kitchen dancing to Taylor Swift. And she'd walk in and be like, oh my God, dad, you're so weird. Yeah. But then 15 minutes later, she's like, so did you know this about Taylor Swift? Did you know this about Taylor Swift? Did you know this about Taylor Swift? And I was like, of course I did. But I was right. like, oh my God, I didn't know that about Taylor Swift. That's right. so amazing. So it's really, in my book, it's really just about noticing the little things mm -hmm. and like throwing that wedge in and being like, hey, I care about what you care about. My favorite thing to do with Minecraft is I always ask him who won. <laughs> and if you don't know about minecraft there's no you don't you don't win you, just, you just build shit and blow shit up so i'm like who won who won the game 
See, that's going the opposite direction. <laughs> that's that's showing them that you don't understand what their world is like. Very true. So this points out the final takeaway here. Seek support and remember that you're not alone in your parenting journey. Help, you know, look for help whenever you can to find ways to do a little better. Unless you're Jeremy, then then I recognize then, the yeah, train wreck that yeah. he has made and I just, I have no interest in helping that. Yeah, just make fun. Make a lot of fun. All right, but that is enough uh, whining from us about being uh, shitty parents. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more and even get the outtake from what was a, a bit of a train wreck of the recording of this episode today, you'll get that in our newsletter. You can sign up for that at thefitness.com. That's also where we will be back in just a few days with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening. See you, everyone. We know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.